You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy While Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. And this is Zeba Hassan. I notice your background looks a little bit different. Like, is this what you've been doing with your week? Let's take a look-see. <laughs> yeah, I, I redid my office again. If you guys remember last pre-Ramadan, I did the mm-hmm. same thing because I did the Muslim declutter challenge, which is on Facebook. Sister Isra Hashmi organizes that and it just motivates the cred out of you to get organized. And I will, you know what I'll do on our Facebook group? I'll post the before and after and you can Ooh. see what a huge difference it's made. My son, it came in, he was like, wow, your office looks so much bigger, mom. And it's so nice. Like I got an upholstery project done. I did this feature wall. Ooh. Like I'm super proud of and, myself. And honestly, I feel like when your space around you is in this like beautiful, creative, like clean space, like you can mm-hmm. be more creative. That's how, kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. And I mean, my office is down in the basement. So my goal was to clear it and keep it, you know, like I have a special light in here too that I installed because the goal was, oh, this is going to be my Fajr Quran spot. But because it was not a peaceful space at all, I do not read Quran down here. I might listen to it while I'm like doing some work, but you know, it's not going to be conducive to a really good Ramadan. So I wanted to fix that this year. So inshallah, that is my goal to come down here and and do my dhikr in the morning. So I absolutely love that, but it looks beautiful, and I'm glad that you got that one thing off your to-do list, because I know you've yes. been talking about it for a while. <laughs> I know. I've been talking about it for about a year. So what have you been up to this week? So, you know, speaking of, like, mental health and peace and all that, we, we're kind of getting back from a quick last-minute um, trip. We went to Miami. I took my family. It was one of those things where, you know, when you um, – before COVID, we bought a whole bunch of tickets and they're like, they're about to expire. And that kind of like stresses you out. And you're just like, where can we go? We can't have these things expired. And honestly, you know, all my kids, including my husband has this, um, they have the sad, right? When it's too, it's not that it's really cold here. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's not that it's cold here, but it is kind of gloomy. So just getting, being recharged 48 hours in the sunshine, it did wonders for all of us. Um, so I really, you know, even if you can't go to Miami, but just get trying to get outside every single day, I think is really helpful for people's mental health right now. Um, and you know, I, I love that we were able to, the six of us for the first time in a long time, we're just kind of forced to be together and do fun things. And, and by fun things, I read two books for fun in 48 hours. And that is like amazing. Um, I know it's a big thing because normally I'm reading for the podcast, I'm reading for school or whatever the case may be. So I really enjoyed my time. So, you know, what's going on in your in the in the Joffrey household? Oh, we're not the Joffrey household. I'm the only Joffrey in the house. I know. I always forget. (laughs) My kids and I don't share our name, but that's okay. Um, For us, I had five teenagers over recently. You know how, you know, when we have younger kids, we're so scared of the older kids' phase. But I learned from you to look forward to it. And honestly, having these teenagers, it was like a vacation for me. 
because all I had to do was put the food out yes. and like go away and then come yep. back. The food is gone and there yep. are no people like that yeah. I have to talk to or entertain. You don't they have are to see them. entertaining themselves. Exactly. The one thing was at dinner, we sit down together and, mm-hmm. you know, they are very polite, please and thank you. You know, they're teenagers, they make messes, they leave garbage under the sofa and everything. Yes. But, you know, because I understand that their frontal cortex is just not like yours and mine, yeah. it's expected, you know, and yeah. I'm not going to get upset about that. I'm just going to appreciate that. I don't have to do anything except put the food out, make sure everybody is safe, drop them off at the movies, show up early to pick them up. You know, that's it. And I really am looking forward to this phase of having three teenagers of my own soon. So super excited. Thank you for dispelling my fear. They do get get a bad bad rap. Teenagers are awesome. Yeah, they are. I I have to say when we were on the plane, I'm not going to lie. I'm becoming one of those moms. A baby was crying next to me. Like I had to like, literally say to myself okay calm down you were there at one time and then I did offer her some biscuits you know to give to the baby but in my head I was thinking you couldn't pay me to go back to that phase like I (laughs) couldn't do it couldn't do it not at all no way but I love that you're not afraid anymore and you realize that you know what at every stage I feel like it's such a blessing and you know I'm interested to kind of get jump started into our um, episode because she's one of my fa- I follow her on Facebook uh, on Facebook and Instagram when I happen to be on Instagram because you know Ramadan is almost here and we all have that one question how do we keep from unloading our fast and undoing it after, with our iftars right like everyone goes you have the best of intentions you're like I'm going to do this and this and this and then sometimes you just like gorge yourself at iftar you're just like stuffing your face and then you're trying to go down for sijda for, for a prayer and you're you're literally can't get you can't get back up and because we <laughs> your ate too much is touching your knees yeah exactly mm-hmm. and you're and you feel uncomfortable and bloated and all these kind of things but you know we have so many of these questions and to help us answer that and other wellness questions we have health and fitness expert as well as health and wellness coach Mubaraka. and i love her i love i love all her tiktoks and all that on the reels because <laughs> she like tells you how to say her name and it just makes me feel so good so it's Mubaraka ibrahim who we also know as the brand Fit Muslim. She has appeared on Oprah Winfrey show. She's attended the White House dinner with, you know, the other Muslim president, you know, Barack Obama <laughs> for her contribution to health and fitness. She has over 20 years of experience in personal wellness industry. She's acquired 13 fitness and nutrition certifications in addition to her interdisciplinary BS in exercise science, public health and psychology from Southern Connecticut State University. Born and raised Muslim in America, she is the second generation of four Four generations of Muslim Americans in her family. Four. Also a mama of four, friend to our podcast because she never gets tired of us messaging her because we harass her. Um, she is the one-stop shop for Muslims interested in the ketogenic lifestyle. And today we're asking her to tell us how to make sure we can use it to slay all of our goals, spiritual, emotional, and physical this Ramadan. Inshallah, we are so thrilled to have you back. Welcome, Mubaraka. Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having me back. Welcome, everybody. Always a pleasure. We are so, so excited about this particular episode just because, yes, we love you, and yes, we've taken your classes, and yes, we've had success, and yes to everything. But we like to kick it off by asking our guests uh, a little bit about their mom's story and what their momming philosophy is. 
my mom's story. Oh, wow. So I am a mother of four and uh, my children are all young adults now. They're 21, 23, 25, and 27. Um, and I have one beautiful granddaughter who is going to be two this year. So happy <laughs> that I am, I am a gamma. So <laughs> that's the best. I can't wait to get to that phase. That's where I want to be. Not the babies on the so plane. Awesome. I want to have my grandbabies. Get, with them, get them tired. And as soon as they start fussing, you give them back to their parents. Exactly. <laughs> on the plane, find their mother, go over there. <laughs> exactly. She's tired. Go to mommy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing that. So I am in, I am um, enjoying the gamma phase right now. So that's that's an entirely different experience than every single phase of parenting. So I'm really enjoying that right now. I'm doing that. Wonderful. And is there any kind of like a mantra or something that worked for all four of your kids? Because Mashallah, they're like close and in between. Like you had to be tearing your hair out at some point. So what worked for you to get them to young adulthood? Um, do I have a mantra for my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, so every kid is so different. So I would not say that I have one mantra for everybody, but my uh, philosophy for kids that I've developed as each one of them go through different phases inside of their life journey is um, two things. One, kids come through you and not to you. So (laughs) that has been the most important thing for me to remember in terms of allowing them to grow into the person that they are meant to be. Um, That's number one. And in the most difficult times, my philosophy is everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, then it's not the end. Just be patient. Yes. Oh, <laughs> we need to write that down. I, I love know. it. That needs to be a quote from Avarika. Oh my gosh. Then it's not the end. <laughs> I love that. It gets better. It gets better. I promise. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, inshallah. Those are all so beautiful and things to keep in mind. Like things that I learned very late I feel like in my mothering career, which is, you know, now that I'm going to have a 14 year old, I feel like it's wrapping up and Zayba, like watching her, you know, wrap up her high school senior. I'm just like panicking Mm -hmm. now. I've got to get smart. I only have four more years left to know everything. (laughs) You will never know everything. Like even now with adult children, I think back and like, maybe I should have did that. Maybe I should have did more of this. Maybe So you'll never know everything. You'll always be like, uh, I didn't know how to do it. And then when you thought you did everything perfect, you're going to learn something new and you're going to be like, oh man, I, did I screw yes. them up? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can like fix it with the gamma phase. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I'll do it better that time. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So tell us about where your interest in um, health and fitness came from. Mm-hmm. My interest in health and fitness came from watching my mom suffer from uh, unmanaged diabetes for years. Uh, Mm. And um, she got diabetes when I was about seven years old. And from when she was pregnant with my little sister, um, she developed gestational diabetes and it just never went away. Um, And it developed into full blown diabetes and watching her suffer and then realizing later on 
that she suffered because she literally did not know how to take care of herself and live with mm -hmm. diabetes. Um, that really created my passion specifically for helping people reverse insulin resistance, prevent, control, and reverse type 2 diabetes because I know the impact that it made on my life growing up as a kid, the impact that it makes on our family, the fact that she died when she was 68 and she not able to see great grandkids or some of her grandkids even grow up and the impact that that makes on our family. So if I can help a mom be around a little bit longer and be more present for her kids and show up her healthiest, happiest self, then I will feel very accomplished in this life. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. And it's so funny because um, whenever you start your sugar detox, you have, you have occasionally a couple of sugar detoxes and there's like WhatsApp groups and all that. Like you'd be so, it's so funny because here in the DMV area, there's like a, a group, I call them like your groupies. Like literally we, we need to come up with a name for the fit Muslim groupies. And I, I always get added to these groups. We're like, say, but let's do this. Blah, 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 blah. We're her tribe. I think the, it's a, her groupies it's like are a called tribe. her tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love it. And they're like, okay, we're going to cut out sugar this week and we're going to do this. How are we going to make it work? And I absolutely love this. And, and so now it makes a little bit more sense why you focus a little bit on that ketogenic lifestyle, because you really are trying to reverse um, type two diabetes or perhaps prevent it from coming. Um, I've gone through my own um, personal journey as well with like health and wellness. Again, to your point, it was, I always say like you, you would die for your kids, but are we truly living for them and being as healthy as we can, um, internally, physically for them is probably the best gift that we can give to our children. So, so how do you feel that the ketogenic lifestyle should, or is supposed to be practiced by the Ummah in America? So I think that when it comes to a ketogenic lifestyle, it is really best practice in its most natural state. One, I don't think it needs to even be called keto, right? I, we do that to identify so people, because people need to identify everything. We want to name everything, right? But ideally, it is eating the way. So I have, if we eat with certain philosophies in mind, our eating style will naturally become lower carb and mm -hmm. more towards a ketogenic lifestyle. So I tell people, eat in a way as if you had to grow and raise your own food, right? We didn't have all of these uh, all of these various disease and epidemic levels of diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease when we farmed and we ate what we raised mm -hmm. and what we grew. So think about it in terms of that, what you have on your plate, what you have in your refrigerator and freezer, how close is it to what, how it occurs in nature? So that's the first philosophy. The second philosophy that I would tell people is what is the proportion of it that you would eat? if you had to raise and grow your own food, right? So I use it even in a low carb ketogenic sense, people tend to make 
uh, I can't eat regular bread, so I'm going to make almond meal this and almond yes. meal that and almond meal that, right? And then they start having digestive disturbances. I don't understand. I'm doing everything right. <laughs> or they're eating cheese at every single meal. Yes. I don't understand why I'm doing everything right. Right. So it's not just about being low carb is if you had to grow your own almonds, you wouldn't be using an entire crop of almonds to make two loaves of bread or even exactly. almond milk every single day, right? It would literally not be possible with the amount of time, effort, harvesting of almonds that you had to do, right? So when we think of even eating in a ketogenic manner, it is a very natural way to eat. Being in ketosis is a natural thing that we are allowed. Ramadan is coming up mm -hmm. and I very tongue in cheekly, but quite seriously say that it's shahril ketosis <laughs> because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the month of ketosis. It is. <laughs> Rather you want to follow a ketogenic diet or not, you will achieve ketosis at some point in your day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. That is how beneficial it is that Allah literally required us <laughs> to stop eating so that we can heal our body. Yes. <laughs> so it's a very natural form of eating. And we, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, we didn't eat 50% of our diet from grains. Certainly mm -hmm. not from sugar and the processed foods that we have. So when I think about ketogenic eating, whether it's here in the United States or the UK, or I have clients in Nigeria and Ghana and like all over the world, when you even think about traditional diets and you take them back, the, mm -hmm. the grains was not the main thing. I'll give you an example. So recently I went to um, Senegal. Um, to visit and it was a wonderful wonderful experience and I had the um, I had the pleasure of making a friend there who was like he was like a walking encyclopedia <laughs> for the history of Senegal the history of Islam in Senegal like he was just really a wealth of information and one of the really interesting things that I that he um, explained to me was that Currently, rice is like the main staple in Senegal. Like if you're mm -hmm. Senegalese and if you don't have rice, you feel like you have not actually eaten a meal. <laughs> yes. But he said rice is actually not even native to Senegal. The reason mm. why rice became a staple is because Senegal was colonized by the French. The French also colonized Thailand and they began to ship rice from Thailand to Senegal. Rice doesn't even grow in the landscape of Senegal. So it is not native to their culture. It is a result of colonization. So even That's so if interesting. you look at their traditional diets, not what your grandmother ate, literally go back three, four generations. And if you even ate like them, you would eat less grains, less carbohydrates, less sugar, certainly no processed foods. So it's really getting back to when we were the most natural in our eating, the most intuitive in our eating, and we actually ate the way that nature grows and raises for us to eat. That is so interesting. And it's, I feel like, 
everything you're saying is 100% spot on. And that's why um, Fit Muslima resonates so much with me because, you know, I frequently uh, have 105-year-old patients, 101-year-old patients. And I'm like, dude, what's the secret? The men always say listening to my wife. Um, But generally, it boils down to they were farm kids. You know, they grew Mm -hmm. up on farms where everything was homemade. Everything was completely natural, not processed. I always thought it was kind of like a Heidi thing. They got a lot of sunshine, fresh air, exercise, and that's why they were able to live so long. And they generally lived pretty active lifestyles as well. Um, But this is... uh, this is making me think something completely different. They're eating the way we were naturally supposed to eat as, okay, not nomads anymore, but as an agricultural community, which at one time the world really was. So I I, I do love that, but I want to take it back a a moment to the ketosis part. For those in the audience who don't know what ketosis is or, um, you know, why it's specifically important in Ramadan in accomplishing our spiritual goals, can you touch on those two things? Yep, absolutely. So ketosis is when your body makes a metabolic shift, right? From most people burn carbohydrates as their main source of fuel. But ketosis is when your body no longer uses carbohydrates as your main source of food fuel. Instead, it uses fat as fuel. So really important differentiation is ketosis is not ketoacidosis. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get that mixed up, particularly people in the medical community, because they're not familiar with a keto diet. And every time they hear keto, they hear ketoacidosis, which is a really dangerous state. Yes. But the truth behind the ketogenic diet is most people will never achieve keto to a point where they're even at risk of any kind of ketoacidosis, right? That is more of a risk for people who are type one diabetics. So for example, for me and my program, I actually don't accept type one diabetics because I feel that they need to do, they can do a ketogenic diet, but they really need to do it with medical supervision, right? And so my programs are designed with medical supervision. So I take type two diabetics, but I don't take type one diabetics in my program. Um, So for a ketogenic diet, I like to explain it sort of like the electricity scenario. I like to use the electricity scenario. Most houses are powered with electricity from the electrical lines. Think of that as carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. But there are houses who have a generator when the electricity lines are cut, right? There's a storm, the power lines go out, the generator kicks in to power up the house. Your carbohydrates is your electricity. Your generator is the fat that you consume and store. So when carbohydrates are not available, your body automatically kicks in the generator. This happens for everybody. If you're a human being, you have the ability to go into ketosis and burn fat for energy. It happens naturally. The shift in your metabolism happens naturally anytime you go more than 12 hours without food. So that's the reason why I refer to Ramadan as the month of ketosis, because most people will be fasting 14, 16, maybe 18 hours, depending on where you are in the world. And so everyone at some point 
in the day will deplete their body of their carbohydrates inside of their liver, your glycogen stores, and your body will then, in order to give you energy, start converting fat into fuel so that you can continue to function. And not just like, oh, I gotta go do a workout, but you need energy for your heart to beat, for your lungs to breathe. Every part of your uh, function in your internal body requires your body to produce energy. So in order for you to stay alive, your body has to say, well, I don't have carbs, so where am I going to get energy to stay alive? And that would be from fat. So we have the ability to convert two macronutrients into energy, carbohydrates and fat. And that is basically what ketosis is. It is re reducing your carbohydrates. So for people who follow a ketogenic diet, instead of just fasting, they literally just reduce fat, um, carbohydrates significantly so that their body will burn fat as fuel instead of carb consuming carbohydrates. world where productivity and success are the hot topics of discussion, but patriarchal systems are still commonplace, it's both refreshing and inspiring to see a woman of color take on the task of re-examining what it means to be productive and successful, while also starting a conversation around a topic that has traditionally been domineered by old white men. The Genius Illuminated podcast focuses on going deeper into what it means to be successful and proposes that we all need to access our genius, and it's done through carefully crafted interviews with women. Tune into season one of the Genius Illuminated podcast, which drops every Wednesday from February 2nd until March 2nd. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, or at www.fireflystrategies.com and click on the Genius Illuminated podcast tab. I know initially when people start in Ramadan, they might feel a little sluggish and tired mm -hmm. initially because it's, you know, like Zeba mentioned, the sugar detox. But if once you start getting into ketosis, you know, we're, we're perked up around iftar, not because we're excited for food, but because ketosis actually increases your energy, right? Which is super important because that's exactly what we need to continue our worship, increase our worship during this really important month. And so... If you can stay in that state for as long yes. as possible, then that's really helpful, especially in Ramadan. And then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mubaraka, I, I know some people use the keto strips and stuff who, you know, if they feel like they really need to, but one of the easy, dirty signs of finding ketosis is when we have that breath, right, in Ramadan? Yes, it is. Yes, keto breath is a thing. <laughs> it is definitely a thing. And it's it's literally one of the ways in which our bodies um, um, produce ketones or release ketones is actually through our breath. It's a type of ketone that um, people would describe it as fruity breath, but when you smell somebody else's breath, it's not so fruity. <laughs> Mm -mm. Yes. It's fruity in type 1 diabetics who are, are in ketoacidosis. It is not fruity in ketosis. It's straight up Ramadan breath because you're in ketosis. That hits a little differently. It'll be, our mask mandate has been lifted, so it won't be so bad for us this year. Thankfully, <laughs> I literally was saying that I was like, oh my God, I can smell my own breath. This is not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love you don't have to suffer anymore. <laughs>
but yes, that is a real thing. The the and that's and it's so funny because um, when people aren't aware that that is literally a sign that they're going into ketosis, we just as you know, just say Ramadan breath or our breath smells while we're fasting. Yes, yeah, we're, but, but that's literally the science behind it. Your body is releasing ketones because you've gone into uh, a ketosis. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and like Uzma essentially mentioned, you know, like when you're, I did this six week, I know it's a little bit insane, but in order to totally reestablish and reset my hormones and do all this stuff, I actually did a six week liquid fast mm-hmm. for six weeks, didn't eat anything, didn't do any of that stuff to kind of reestablish. I had a fatty, fatty liver and this kind of just kind of helped a little bit with that. And the first couple of weeks were rough. It really is. And it's not for everybody. But I was telling Osma, I had more energy. I was sleeping soundly at night. And, you know, then we slowly started adding um, certain foods and things like that. And obviously, I'm still, I, I guess now, I, I hate saying that I'm doing a keto diet, because I think another thing that people talk about is they think you're like eating globs of fat or butter or this or that. And, <laughs> and, and so I like to tell people like, I'm, I'm not, it's kind of keto, but I'm not really doing keto because I don't because it has a bad rap. So I'm not sitting here eating globs of fat and things like that. But I, I kind of um, am in eating how you're saying Mubaraka, like going back to the basics, like, if you can't make it with your own hands, you probably shouldn't be eating it. And I am I'm slowly starting to incorporate some of that into my own family meals. So I absolutely love that. So when you're fasting all day into Osma's point, like you're starting to get a little bit of that energy towards the end, because you are in in this ketogenic stage, and let's just be real, the first seven days are not fun for anybody. If you're not in a ketogenic lifestyle, I get it. It's hard. It's rough. But you do start getting into the groove of it. So what happens then all of a sudden, like in Indo-Pak cultures, you're eating the samosas, you're eating the, I'm going to ha- I'm going to drink ruavza, which is literally sugar, sugar water or sugar <laughs> milk, the worst possible thing you can drink with your, to yourself. It's uh, not honestly, simple and, syrup. It's like, it's disgusting. Okay. (laughs) I mean, so honestly, in our family, we have a date, we drink water, then we go pray because I do feel like, you know, you're breaking your fast because you have to, but you can be more in tuned to the prayer because you're not tired and sluggish and all these types of things. So, you know, I'm not trying to say to people, don't have your cultural things. And it is fun to, you know, I, I miss my mom's samosas and things like that. I get it. But what is like a good iftar to the extent that people are going to have iftar that you would recommend us eat so that we're not sluggish, we're not falling asleep after Maghrib, and that we have the energy to kind of um, continue our evening worship. So the first thing that we have to think of when we think of breaking the fast, we want to think, and energy, we want to think of how do we mitigate insulin spikes, right? And so this is when you apply it, no matter what culture you are um, from. And your, your insulin spikes with sugar and with carbohydrates, right? So those are the things yes. that you want to limit. So I'm going to talk 
this is in general if you're following the ketogenic lifestyle how do you can how do you keep doing it during ramadan you just keep doing it just keep eating the way that you're eating right so very easy yeah exactly right (laughs) there's no trick to keep on doing keto in ramadan other than keep doing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so this Mm -hmm. is for people who don't necessarily follow a ketogenic or a low carb lifestyle and your energy is coming during the fast once you start getting into the groove of it because you have lowered Mm -hmm. your insulin level and your insulin level stays even throughout the day. You're not eating, right? So it's staying even throughout the day. When you take in sugar, when you take in carbohydrates, you're going to get a huge spike in your insulin level. Now, the confusion that happens is people say, oh, I feel so great. Like I ate all of this big old meal and now I feel great. And Maghrib goes well, they might be able to get through Isha, but Tarawi, they're like, I'm tired. I gotta go home. Right? (laughs) And that's- I'm only doing And that's because your insulin level actually has a two hour window. So insulin resistance literally is not what your insulin does immediately after you eat a food. Everybody insulin rises when we eat. Doesn't matter if you, even in a low, if you're eating low carb meals, that's just your body's response, right? It's not gonna rise as high as if you eat a a high carb meal, but it's still gonna give you a rise. Especially if you're eating sugar or carbohydrates and it does not matter where the sugar come from. Your insulin will respond to honey the same way that it's going to respond yeah. to high fructose corn syrup, the same way it's going to respond yeah. to rice, the same way it's going to respond to p- potatoes. Because a lot of people think, well, if I get it from a natural source like honey, then it's okay. I can have 10 dates because you know it's the sinna, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's all sugar and your insulin is going to respond the same way. And that means it's going to rise, Insulin resistance is actually not how, when your insulin rises, it's how long it stays high. So when a person has insulin resistance, a person without insulin resistance, for example, within two hours, the insulin level goes back down to their normal, right? If you have insulin resistance, insulin does not come down. Your blood sugar stays high two, even three hours after you've eaten your meal, and that's when you get lethargic, right? So the yeah. right at the time is time to make sure to eat, right? That's when you get yeah. lethargic. We want to eat in a way that will allow us to maximize our Ibada during Ramadan, then when we break fast, we want to avoid having really high carbohydrate meals. You want to limit your carbohydrate. At the very most simplistic level, my first suggestion is don't have more than one carbohydrate, right? Hmm. That means that you're going to have to choose between samosas and rice. You can't have both levels. Yes. <laughs> That's hard. Right? I know. You're going to have to make some decisions here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Darn so, it. We have to make choices, people. Make good choices. Carbohydrate and limit that carbohydrate to a half a cup at max. And I know that sounds mm. crazy because it's like, but I didn't eat all day. But you will be able to sustain your energy much longer. You will be able to mitigate that rise in insulin if you stack your plate with vegetables and protein. 
focus on the yes. vegetables and protein. If you decrease, so even if you're like, oh, I don't want to do keto and I don't want to do low carb, I'm still going to eat my biryani. That's fine. Just don't have an entire. Oh, you're making me hungry. Now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Talking about biryani and samosas. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about all the people who are shocked because they open their iftar with the date and then seven pieces of watermelon and a mango. Mm. But yeah. It's fruit. So it's okay. It's natural. I'm like, your body don't know artificial it's sugar done. from like, you know, natural sugar. Sugar is sugar to your body. It's smart. Yes. It's smart. You know? Yes. People. I always say that I wish we would change our philosophy of con- considering fruit and vegetables inside the same food category. We really mm-hmm. need to separate the two because eating mm. a mango is going to be very different than eating broccoli. <laughs> you can't yes. substitute yeah. a, man- a broccoli for a mango. It's like two days worth of sugar and a mango. One mango. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It really does make a huge difference. Go for vegetables, go for lean green vegetables, go for vegetables that you can cook, right? My other thing is that I want to get out of the idea that a salad is actually your vegetable. Yes, a salad has some nutrients, but so small amount of nutrients that you're using. Which is so funny because that's not what people think. They're like, I ate a salad. Yeah, but that's not I'm so healthy. You know why yeah. people think that? I'm also so hungry. A salad became <laughs> no. the diet food when we became obsessed yes. with calories. And interesting. It's okay. low in calories. But. It's okay. also low in nutrient. And, you know, my philosophy is, you know, calories is. She wants your nutrients. I want and. nutrients. Calories yeah. don't matter. Your body is going to interpret <laughs> calories very differently um, depending on where they're from and how much macronutrients are associated with them. So I'm not a calorie counter person. But and, and so I think we really need. So I tell my clients, like, if you want to have a salad, no problem. Me personally, I love salads. Right. I don't just eat them because they're diet food. I literally like love the way salad tastes, the crunchiness. the I just love the yeah. flavor, everything about them. But they're always a side. Right. They're not my vegetable. So if I'm going to eat uh, collard greens or broccoli or eggplant, I'm going to have that. But I also might have a salad. It's not what the it's not the meal itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love all of it, and that I, I feel like I can already hear people's neurons exploding as they're making mm-hmm. more, you know, like connections with. Oh, this is why I feel this way every Ramadan. Okay, I, I hope that's what hap- what's happening at least. So, final question for you, Mubaraka. I've taken your burn belly fat challenge. I've had success with it. I love the ketogenic lifestyle. I just think that that's the way, the easiest way to live a healthy lifestyle full of high energy to do the things that I need to do as a mom, as a professional, as a friend, all of that. But I recently stumbled upon your Ramadan masterclass, and I don't know what that is. Can you tell our audience what you're doing in that masterclass? Absolutely. So in Ramadan, we shift to more of spiritual wellness. 
and emotional wellness. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Ramadan Masterclass is a class in which we will go over the six steps of goal setting according to Quran and Sunnah, right? We often think about goal setting and we think of it kind of like in the modern modern way, right? And many of those things do align with Quran and Sunnah, but we're going directly to the Quran and Sunnah and then taking those concepts and saying, this is how we are applying them to goal setting. So an example of that is that when we talk about positive psychology and we talk about visualization in terms of goal setting, a lot of people don't realize that that is literally how Allah prepares us to set goals for the Akhirah. Visualization is a huge part of how the mm-hmm. Jinnah is described, right? How Jahannam is described. We are giving one of the things that the, that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Wasallam that he talked about was that the difference between his revelation and the revelations before is that his Ummah was given much more detail of the Akhirah. And so when we look at the detail of the Akhirah and we're literally imagining, right? the river with milk and honey and the visualization of it. And then when we look at psychology and how goal setting and achievement is obtained, that is actually part of the goal setting and achievement that has been shown to be successful in helping people reach their goals. And so the Ramadan Masterclass Thrive um, where we are going to align our goals and our soul is a four-part series. It's once a week for four weeks. We're going to start the week before Ramadan because I like to call Ramadan the Dua Olympics, right? Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's the time when Allah is accepting our duas, when we have extra special attention, right? It's Dua Olympics, so it's the best time for us to set new goals for our year, for uh, everything that we want to achieve in our life. So it's that particular class. It is not specific for weight loss. It is for setting goals in your life and being able to achieve them with the philosophies and principles of Quran and Sunnah as your guide. I, love I absolutely it. love it. And, and you're going to see me in there because I I love, I, I, Osma and I talk about this all the time. We don't necessarily use the first of the year as our, you know, resetting. We use Ramadan as our opportunity to reset, refocus, reestablish what we want to do in the upcoming year, you know, and that and when the kids go back to school because we can just get more things done. So we get it twice. Um, so I, I definitely am um, excited about doing, doing that and joining you. Um, and if you haven't watched um, or listened to our podcast, we do this thing called rapid fire, where I kind of just throw questions at you for a minute and you have to answer. Okay. <laughs> and so my hopes is Osmar and I are going to take some, we're going to go back and forth and take turns. But the first question we always ask is, is there a good book that you recommend or something that you're currently reading right now? So I am currently actually listening to Will Smith's autobiography and I think it's it is a wonderful, wonderful book. Very insightful, very interesting. So um, that is what I am currently reading. <laughs> I love We'll that. have to purchase that. Now, because you are the Fit Muslima and we talk mm-hmm. so much about ketogenic lifestyle, if there was only one food you could eat mm-hmm. as many times of the day as you wanted, what would it be? All right, so I'm going to mess up my reputation here. If, if, if it had no count 
for calories or carbs. Yes. I, well, you, I mean, come day. on. This is a, the, the question. <laughs> it was carb free and it tastes the same and it was everything that, and I could eat as much as I want. It would be pizza. Pizza is my downfall. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, I'm surprised. And, and honestly, that cauliflower crust, it just doesn't the, taste the same. That was my belly. biggest gift. I always tell people, like, I actually have not eaten rice in probably four years. It was not a big give up. Pasta was not. I realized, like, I actually really didn't like those things. I just ate them because that's yes. what we were eating. So that was our, not the big thing. The biggest thing for me to give up was pizza. <laughs> Oh man, um, and and it's it's not, you know the zucchini boats and those types yeah. of things are just not a good substitute. <laughs> Let's just be real. Sometimes, you know. <laughs> oh my god! So this I I love this question, but if somebody you know because you do have such a, a wealth of information, you're providing such a great service for the Muslim community. Um, if someone were to someone were to play you in your movie of your life, who would that be? Mm, if somebody was to play me in a movie of my life, life I would think Gabrielle Union would be a good person. Oh, girl, yes. Ooh, I love her. I think Gabrielle Union, I love she would her. give me the right amount of spice. <laughs> yes, yeah, Absolutely. And she's written a book, too. I know. I've actually listened to the first one. And she's got Oh, wonderful. Fir- that was also really, really good. Really good. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Last question. At what job would you be terrible? At what mm. job would I be terrible? I would probably be terrible. Oh, wow. What job would I be terrible at? I, She's like nothing because nothing. I'm amazing. amazing. I'm to, I think oh, that's the correct answer. Washing, <laughs> eight washing dishes. Oh, my God. Oh, ah. oh my God. Yes, okay. definitely. I, I agree. I have that same problem. I don't want to do yes. dishes. Yeah. Well, Jazakallah Khair, thank you so much for sharing all of this information with us. I know that we've benefited from it. We are praying that, inshallah, our audience implements what you've said and that they benefit from it greatly. And then when everybody has an amazing Ramadan and is able to finish the Quran like two times and do the Tarawih, inshallah, you're getting the barakah for it because yes. it's in your name anyway. So <laughs> inshallah. I love that. I love that. Thank you so, so much. Please keep us in your du'a during Ramadan as well. And we hope to talk to you soon, inshallah. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.